Today's episode is brought to you by me. Still mostly just brought to you by me. However, my friends over at DefiantBean.com are trying to help out too, but they can't do it alone. Defiant Bean Roasters take responsibly sourced quality coffee beans, lovingly and caringly roast them, sometimes while listening to the Enormacast apparently. Then they put them in a bag, still warm, in a box, and send them to you. So fresh, the beans think they're on a little vacation, right up until they hear the grinder fire up. But anyway, DefiantBean.com is offering Enormacast listeners a deal. 10% off any order, and we, the royal we over here at the Enormacast, get 10% as well. That's DefiantBean.com. Enter Enormo in the coupon code at checkout and get 10% off. Great coffee. Or head over to Enormacast.com. Click on the Defiant Bean banner for details. Be defiant. Demand fresh roasted coffee. All right, on to the show. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big house. place. That's, out. Out. That's a big nice. place. You sold oh, it out. Out. I'll say, you really should. The hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a frayed end on your rope, and I'm cutting it out. Hello and welcome to the Normacast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. I am in the closet for episode 31 of the Normacast. 31 or 32? No, this is 31. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm sitting in the closet with return guest, three-time guest, actually. I think you might be... The, the number trick. one guest on the Normal <laughs> Cast, Mr. Andrew Bisharat. And actually, if we count part one and two as two shows, you're equal, Hayden oh, wow. Kennedy. All right. So you guys like are vying. I didn't realize this was a competition. One, yeah, number one co-host bands. Um, on today's cool show... <laughs> hey, shut up for a second. On today's show, uh, we're going to just talk with these guys. And uh, I thought we'd just get into the old school mode of having a discussion about rock climbing. Um, with Andrew, I'd like to follow up with Andrew on a show we did, I don't know, like three months ago now, uh, where we talked about hard climbing because something happened in the meantime with hard climbing. And then I'd like to talk to Hayden about uh, his Pakistan trip from um, last summer, actually, at this point, and about his unfortunate new situation. <laughs> Sweet. I can't wait. Um, I don't really have any news, so let's just get into it. Andrew. Let's start with you, buddy. Please. Do you mind? Please. Your, si- your situation changed. There was there was a, quite a kerfuffle when people found out that you had left Rock and Ice, but that's not actually true. Well, it's sort of true. I oh, mean, I'm, a, I'm an editor at large now, and and uh, so that is just glorified freelancer. Mm. And so I'm going to continue writing my column and features uh-huh. and stuff for the magazine, but I'll be... I'm, I'm sort of looking into other writing projects as well mm-hmm. and, and seeing what, where that takes me. Okay. So is that just like a, is, is editor at large just like a code word for Ben fired or? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> <laughs> no, but honestly, what does that mean? Does that mean so you, you get a certain amount of other writing opportunities just, for those guys? Just high fives, yeah. shout outs. <laughs> Just tweets. much just respect. They're gonna they're gonna tag me in some Facebook posts. Nice, nice. Yeah. And you're also getting married next summer. That's right. Yeah, that's awesome. July twenty so. seventh. 
So 2013, big year for yep. new things. Yep. For it's a year of change. Rap. Yeah. That's Dogs, awesome. wives, <laughs> new stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that that's an update from Andrew Bisharat. Hayden Kennedy, what have you been doing for the last couple of weeks? Oh, man, I've been having a great time eating a lot of Percocets, <laughs> watching a lot of Breaking Bad, <laughs> sitting on the couch, and just trying to like connect into like that more synthetic world of you know, TV of and digital sort of yeah input to your brain exactly um I, yeah. so what i mean some heinous climbing accident or like you, you were like running s- it out on something and it took some giant whipper and like what happened yeah i wish i could say i was like an elbow on some death route and i like just botched a sequence and you know took some gnarly whipper or like i was in a bar fight you know because i was dancing with some dude's girlfriend and he mm-hmm. decided to kick my ass mm-hmm. but i just fell in the climbing gym like a foot <laughs> bouldering <laughs> And I tore my ACL, my meniscus. Oh. And ironically, this is the only time I've ever been injured other than this was about six years ago. I also tore my ACL in the same knee, bouldering also in a climbing gym. Oh, my God, dude. I know. Are they going to give you a, ref- a refund on the first job? I, I heard that the first time you hurt yourself, you were on incredible hand crack and you just didn't know how to place cams. <laughs> and you totally decked when you ripped an entire pitch. Yeah, I was trying to pull a Leonard Coin place hexes. <laughs> So you only fell a foot? Well, yeah. I mean, I fell, yeah, probably only a foot. And I, yeah, literally, I, I just landed straight-legged and uh-huh. hyperextended my knee, and I heard uh. a pop, and it instantly hurt, got pretty swollen, and I just, yeah, I, I, I had no real idea what, I maybe thought I just kind of did like a little mini meniscus tear, but I ended up fully tearing my ACL, re-tearing my ACL. So, yeah, I'm kind of out on the couch for a little while, but, you know, could be worse. In what way? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. You could be like a third world dog, or you could like. You could be on the... <laughs> yeah, that's true. You could be on the North Face team and have to go climb on Everest. That would suck. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> um, I mean, in the long run, right. it's like, it's yeah. a bummer, but it's not like one of those life altering injuries where. Sure. Like, they do these things like so many times, so it's just right. the time. So you're going to be back climbing in July, you think? Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's you, about five months. So we, I've been giving you a hard time about it tonight, <clears throat> and I do really feel for you because I know how important it is to you right now. So, and you were about to tell me a little bit earlier. I didn't let you finish because we got sidetracked. But you said, you know what it's like when like it's just everything you're doing, and then it's taken away from you. So, I mean, what has been going through your mind in terms of like all of a sudden this cold turkey stop to uh, to climbing? Well, I, th- I mean, I think it's like. Yeah, obviously, like, climbing for me has been my main passion for the last, like, four years. Like, really, well, obviously longer than that, but really since I, like, got out of high school. So, I haven't really done that much else with my life other than, like, climb and travel Uh and pursue that. So, it is a little bit of a slap in the face to, like, have it taken away. But at the same time, I think, yeah, it's a lot of, you can learn a lot from it. Sure. I mean, it's like if you're a heroin addict and you went cold turkey, I'm sure you, like, had the same, or probably different, but some sort of learning process. I don't know. Are you saying that not climbing for the last two weeks has been like going off heroin? <laughs> yeah. No, no. No, I'm pretty, I'm actually pretty stoked to like figure out some new skills and uh-huh. I think it's important. I mean, not everything in life is based on climbing. Like that's just a silly way to live. Don't say that. Oh my God. Don't say don't that. Don't say that. Well, I just think it's interesting how obviously Hayden does all this crazy, you know, difficult stuff and uh, scary stuff, but um, and he hurts himself in the bouldering gym. There's the obvious irony there, sure. You know, but 
like how does luck work i've been thinking about that a lot recently like how bad luck can be really good luck in disguise and you know maybe hayden would have gone off and died in pakistan this summer and now he has this acl tear and he's not going to do that you know so it's like i don't know i just think that there's all kinds of you're so, the life works in mi- mysterious ways. Sure. Well, <clears throat> the thing, too, is that you're such this positive guy. I mean, obviously, you were in a serious amount of pain for, for about a week there. But talking to you on the phone and everything else doesn't seem like, you know, you're too down in the dumps. No, I'm not that bummed. You've been yeah, playing yeah. guitar, learning how to play guitar. and Yeah, trying. <laughs> talking about taking classes at, at college. and Yeah, dude. You, like, yeah. you can't take it. You can't be all naive. It's not that bad, man. I just, I'm psyched that Hayden's not going the route of like, there, you see some people who are climbers and they get hurt and then they're just out in the gym every single day and they're cast doing like hangboard workouts uh-huh. and, and, and top roping on stupid routes. And you're just like, you know, it's just like six months, dude. Just like take a break. Mm-hmm. You know, I you're going to be climbing for your whole life. Just take right. a break. I think mentally it's a good way to recharge mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're gonna be so stoked when you get to climb again. I can overstoke her, man. So what did you you it up. the one thing that really bums me out is that uh <laughs> is that we may have been able to meet up in Europe, so I know. Um, that was that, a bummer. That's, that's kind of the trip you've missed is you had a little little fun trip to Europe, which was tagged on the end with uh by going out to the uh the um, Piole de Or. De Or. De Or. The what is? I well, I, don't, I mean, I don't, I don't think, think that's how you pronounce it. Gold, I don't right? speak French, dude. I speak USA American. <laughs> but in that language, is the Golden Ice Axe. <laughs> okay, the Piole de Or. Yeah, I knew it was something gold. The Golden Ice Axe. Yeah. So, which is the award for the 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 most impressive uh, all around alpine climb first ascent of the year. I guess so. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Or some sort of. I think it's like kind of transitioning to more of like a celebration of alpinism mm-hmm. for like that year for like so this yeah. year all all the nominees are from 2012 like that whole season that mm-hmm. and so I think it's it's been transitioning more into like this celebration because they're giving multiple awards now for the right. last two years I've given like two awards uh-huh. so I think it's kind of you know trying to steer away from that like single minded like this was the best right. Are you going to go to that anyway? Yeah. Okay. I'm stoked. Yeah. Yeah, because don't they fly you over there? Yeah, they fly yeah. you over there. Okay, put you up. I asked them to put me in first class, but I don't know if they're going to do that on I the mean, plane. You have to. I have it's to, a dude. medical issue. <laughs> <laughs> I need first class. I need wine. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm going to come back to you because we're doing a little panel discussion here, and I want to hear about this uh, the ascent for which you've been nominated, sir, along with some amazing bus story that you have. But let's talk for a second. Andrew Bisher at seriously okay seriously we uh we posted a podcast gosh I want to say it's number 21 but I can't I can't say that for sure but uh where Andrew and I discussed hard climbing and actually Andrew that was was uh, quite a downloaded episode um before Mr. Alex Honnold blew my numbers out of the water but Honnold Honnold (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that guy, I don't know. He's got skills. <laughs> we, I got a lot of feedback from it, and, and most people actually uh, were appreciative of what we said, even though a lot of the stuff we said, were just we were just pulling stuff out of our butt and off yeah. the cuff, much like tonight's episode. But since then, and we talked about it on the episode, is that the route La Dura Dura. The hard, hard. The hard, hard. Got sent Sounds by like our- a porno movie. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm seeing, we're seeing a um, we're seeing a a, a a theme here. Jumbo love, 
Right. Hard, hard. The hard, hard. <laughs> Take it down a notch here. <laughs> anyway, so that got sent by Adam Andres since we did that. Now, it is remarkable, but I started, as soon as it got done and reported, I started to wonder if it was remarkable mostly because of Sender Films and the fact that La Dura Dura was on a lot of people's minds because the the Real Rock Tour went around and told us all about it. Mm -hmm. And going back to, I just did an interview with Matt Samet and I asked Matt about sort of the differences he sees in sport climbing compared to when he started it because he was around. It's kind of the genesis of it, at least in the United States. And one thing he said is it's more difficult, he thinks now, to be groundbreaking mm. in the sense that you know it was this wide open field back in the day and whatever they did was new and and almost by definition groundbreaking now it's like this you know little increment incremental steps right we all heard la dura dura got done but i was wondering if like in context of that hard climbing conversation we had like is it all that significant that that route got finished by adam do you think well i think that history will you know judge that just like any athletic feat you know um it needs a repeat to see how hard it is right and, and yeah it could be the world's you know i guess adam mondra's route is the world's fifth 515c but maybe first round first minute is the world's first 15c and that was done you know a year and a half ago or whatever uh-huh but it certainly seems like it's the hardest route in the world and and adam is has said as much uh-huh. and he's the only person who would really know so it's one person's opinion right now what's the name of his route in in change it was in, in the norway cave right Dude, that thing looks so heinous it looks so like heinous. that looks harder to me but i look i watched the there was just a video that mm-hmm. just got taken down i saw that video and I was just like, I don't know, dude. That is that some of that that little crux sequence he does. I was like, just looks like bad beta to me. Like I could see Dan Mursky just knee barring <laughs> that <little> section, <laughs> taking his hands off the wall, shaking. What do you mean the video got taken down? Oh, I don't know. It, it was up, and then and now it's it, huh. you know how okay. you know filmmakers are fickle people, and they some guy probably got paid right. money, and he's like had to take it down or sure, something. Sure, so. sure. Well, you know, this the the video around La Dura Dura, the hard, hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's just call mm-hmm. it that from now on. Hard, hard. The hard, hard. It depicted, if not a rivalry, at least this kind of, I mean, they kind of tried to play it up a little bit of like a race to see who was going to yeah, do yeah. it first. Adam went ahead and did it. I know that you're friends with, um, with Chris Sharma. Is he still interested in repeating the route? Yeah, he's still psyched. He's actually more psyched than ever about um, doing the route. And I think he's really grateful that the pressure's off him and he, mm-hmm. he can just go and, and you know, have, enjoy climbing on his personal time and not make it this sure. about this, like, sort of professional thing that has all these additional complications. Uh-huh. So did he actually bolt that route? He bolted it, yeah. Okay. And, uh, but he was... bolted most of the routes on that wall. Right. That's sort of his zone i think that when he had gotten there there was um maybe three or two two or three routes mm-hmm. uh that danny andrada had bolted and then chris took it from there and more or less bolted every route on that wall mm-hmm. well, I didn't know that. yeah so he's put in a lot of time there and this route is sort of the hardest route on the wall and it's a culmination for him to to complete it and right. he, he wants to do it for personal reasons and sure and it doesn't matter that to him that Adam did it first. And and from talking to him, it sounds like he's 
more psyched that he did it that it you know the the story played out this way sure so yeah i think that's I, cool honestly yeah because he's probably moved on to the next whatever mm-hmm. well, i'm mean, gonna stop paying attention so he can just go about his business right exactly yeah. and he could be like i was joking with you earlier he can be like the rest of us yeah just repeating roots yeah well, <laughs> slowly the, ticking the away thing about that whole story with the the sender films thing and then now of course adam sending it is it's the idea of passing the torch i mean when chris was super young boone speed and like all those sport climbers of that generation, like he went and just sent all their projects uh-huh. and they passed the torch. And now it's, this is the same time for Chris. And that's what happens in any sort of, I mean, it doesn't, it's not just climbing. It's, uh-huh. it's skiing, biking, football, whatever it is. And when you have elders that are like, you know, like Chris, super psyched about it, then that's rad to see. Or when you have like a really, you know, mean dude who's like, oh, I am still the shit. Then that's right. like kind of lame. Right. Well, I think that's the what's coolest interest- story. What's interesting is the people who are like that latter description, they don't climb the, their whole lives because their motivation isn't, it's not, it's not genuine. Yeah, it's not the, they yeah. burn out and, and, uh, and you can, I mean, I don't even need to say names. You can just look at the old greats who are, who aren't climbing anymore. And, and, and I think that, I think it was really reaffirming for Chris to see how psyched he is to continue doing this route despite the fact that it's not going to be his first descent. Right. It's just a, it's just like the rest, like you're saying, he's like the rest of us now he's projecting his route that he's really stoked on. And right. he gets to wake up and go and do that. And then, and it's his personal time to well, go. It's, it's actually speaks well of him or uh, that, you know, that it was such an open thing for, for him to even be climbing on it with Adam. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like the coolest thing. Here's my crowning project that I bolted and okay, yeah, sure, give it a try and yeah. start working together yeah. and sharing beta and everything else. I mean, that, that's such a a sort of evolution of the sport in a sense because, you know, sport climbing used to be so competitive. I guess it still is, certainly. Maybe he just isn't. But uh, but it, it's good to see somebody like you just said, Hayden, you know, aware of the fact that there's this generation coming up that that's certainly going to climb harder than you are and well, yeah, I mean, and going to pass the torch i like what steve sort of house is doing with his alpine mentor program I, I think that's super cool um i don't know too much about the program but i from what it sounds like he's you know trying to to make a situation in the us for that he experienced in Slovenia uh-huh. where there's this Alpine club that has these really experienced dudes. And, and that's really what Alpine climbing I think needs is to have is mentors. You know, it's a real important part of the process. You know, it's it's not just like all of climbing, the, but I think Alpine climbing is certainly a, a bigger, I mean, well, Alpine climbing is so much less about just being young, strong, and fast and light. It's, and, you know, it's, it's about more like, mental. It's, there's a lot of knowledge and, and yeah. uh, experience that you need to, to have to just be safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you need someone who knows who's been in the, you know, the shitter a few times in the mountains right. and knows what, what that looks like and how to get out of it and, and to be able to pass that down onto the next generation and, and, you know, I think that's awesome. I think that's a really cool program. Yeah, Steve's going to be here in a few days. Where? Carbondale. No, he's not. Hey, he is. When? He's got a text from him. What? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, I'm not going to be here. Caloose is all like, well, my he's ratings. Actually, he's actually pretty busy. My ratings. In. My ratings could go off. <laughs> Hoddle is a piece of shit compared to Steve House. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, he's actually really busy. He's going to be up at the Sierra Club giving some slideshow in Aspen. He's getting put up at some fancy place. So You told me you were going to get house. I get a house. I want a house. I know you want a house. All right. You want a house or Steve house? Both. <laughs> <laughs> I want Steve house in my house. Okay. House is house. Because, I mean, you know, I want to talk to him about this. We don't even know really the details of it. Yeah. So tell him that. We need to come on here. All right. Steve calling you out. Yeah. Get on the, get on the more, no more cast. Yeah. If, if you, anyone out there is listening and you have any sort of conduit to Steve house, whether you're on his, does he have a Facebook page? Oh, he does. Uh, I'm on it. He, yeah. You're yeah. on it. You're a fan, start, dude. Start writing him messages that he has to does come on the Does he have like a Normacast. bat signal you can just cast into the sky? <laughs> <laughs> it's shaped like a little, like Monopoly house. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't. That was stupid. <laughs> okay. Sorry. You know what, though? People are going to think that's the funniest thing you've ever said. <laughs> They're going to remember that 10 years from now. Like, that remember one. that time you made that joke about Steve House's bat signal? <laughs> I think about that, like, Every once day. a week. <laughs> <laughs> In the sky over Ridgeway. <laughs> all right. Moving on. Anyway, Mr. House, with all due respect, sir, come on the normal cast. All right, let's move on. Uh, back to you, Hayden Kennedy. Yes, sir. So you went on this trip to Pakistan last yeah. year, and mm-hmm. you had a. We were talking about. Um, I was talking about getting lost on the bus in Colombia, and uh, you had. You said you had the most heinous bus story ever. Could you? Yeah, I could mean, you fill us in on that. It was a wild summer, and the cap off the kind of the summer we had this um, just really wild traveling experience. So we um. Me and my friend Kyle were in Pakistan for close to three months, mm-hmm. and at the end of our trip, we were um, accompanied by our friend Josh Wharton, uh, Colorado guy, and um, we were coming down. We had visited our um, our super good friend Gafour's village. He's our cook, mm-hmm. and just a really cool guy. Just you know, he makes the trip really, really fun. And we went to visit uh, visit his family up in Sost, pretty much the farthest north village in Pakistan. It's like really close to the Chinese border. Just, just right by the Kundrab Pass, and so we were hanging out with him. And while we were up in this village, there was, you know, there's no cell phones, there's no Insta face, my Twitter gram, and right. so we were completely disconnected from the world. And we've been up there for close to five days. And during that time, the Shia Sunni Muslim conflict is, you know, that's the holy wars. Obviously, you know, there's two wars in the Middle East. There's that war, which is between the Muslims, and then there's the Western War. Which, you know, obviously we've, you know, brought to that side. But so the Shia and the Sunni Muslims had this, you know, they have all these rebel groups and stuff. And they pretty much, this terrorist group had essentially hijacked this bus and executed like 20 people on the Karakoram Highway. Which runs from Baltistan, which is northern Pakistan, to the south. Where mm-hmm. all the city, you know, Lahore, Islamabad, mm-hmm. all the cities. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, other than flying, and the flights don't happen often because the weather is bad. And they can't land because they don't have, like, you know, landing instruments all by sight. Right. The the KKH, Karakoram Highway, is the only way south. Okay. And so they closed the road. And they closed the road for about five days the entire time that we were in Sost. And we had no idea that this was happening. Mm-hmm. And when they and, and there's no flights either because the weather was bad, so everyone was blocked. No one could get north. No one could get south. Okay. And obviously in Paxton, they don't really have like a good like refund bus ticket situation sure. going on, <laughs> and they don't really have like that. You know, so we roll down. So we start our journey down from Sost, and we have to get into Islamabad to get our catch our international flights. Mm-hmm. So we roll into um, Gilgit, which is the main town, the main city. 
closest to Gofor's village, and uh, it's a complete mayhem of people. And we we hear about this news, this horrible news, and there's no bus tickets. You know, people are freaking out. There's like huge military escorts happening. Like buses can only travel at certain hours of the day. And there's and anyway, so and we have no one. Like no, we don't speak Urdu or Brzeski or any uh-huh. of the like different dialects. So we're just like these three just Western dudes, just like epicking. And so essentially, we like find this guy, and he has like this sign, and he's just sitting in the dirt, pretty much. It says bus tickets. And we just go up to him and we're like, dude, all right, how much? So we pay him like, you know, whatever, 30 bucks to get this okay. ticket. But we're, we're almost like positive he's just going to rip us off that he's not even, doesn't even have a bus. Right. So he's like, oh, okay, you meet me here in the morning, you know? And so we're like, all right. And so we meet him in the morning. And of course, he's got a bus and there's like, you know, 15 other people. And we're uh-huh. like, oh, wow, this is going to happen. Here we go. And the bus looked, you know, obviously like super shitty. I mean, I'm sure if you saw it as, like, you know, a mechanic, Renaissance man, you'd be like, no way, dude, we should just walk. (laughs) And so, (laughs) but so, okay, so we get on this bus, and I've done this ride before, and and last time it took us about 15 hours, and it went real smooth. I mean, not smooth, it's, like, super bumpy and really hot, and, I mean, it's, like, the worst road conditions Mm -hmm. you can really imagine. Mm -hmm. But so this time we're in it, and we're, like, just jammed up, like, shoulder to shoulder, it's hot, and... And we're, you know, but of course, like we start taking all these like muscle relaxants and stuff <laughs> <laughs> just because it's like, this is going to be heinous. So we're just got to, we got to like numb ourselves out here. <laughs> and so we're like popping all these pills and starting to get a little loopy. And before we know, it's like 10 hours into the ride and it's super slow because we're all behind this huge military truck with have like all like, I mean, full on like huge machine gun on it. And all of a sudden, Josh Wharton starts, um, he starts like, he's like really hot. Like, you can see like he's just super red and he's like starting to burn up and he's, he looks like, looks pale. Uh huh. And he's like, man, I'm like, I'm feeling really sick. And we're like, oh God, here we go. So we stop for lunch and at the little stop. And yeah, he's just like throwing up oh. full on both ends. I mean, I don't need to go into uh. the details, but he is so unbelievably sick. Like, I've never seen anything like it. Like, full on 103 degree fever. Why is a ghost just sick, like shaking? Ugh. So we keep we get on the road, and Morton, you know, he's just dealing at this point. He's like throwing up out of the out of the window. He, he had a rough trip. He had a rough trip. He, yeah. Third, yeah, third world dog style. Third world dog. He was yeah. suffering like a third world dog. <laughs> and me and Kyle were like, we can't really do much for him, so we're just like, because you guys are all like, because we're like noodled out on <laughs> muscle relaxers. Yeah, and then but then it, so then it like it starts getting dark. And we lose our, the bus starts going really slow and all this smoke is coming out of the, the front of the bus sure. and we start losing the rest of the crew. Right. And the bus just breaks down in the middle of the road. Okay. And we're, it's like totally broken down. We're done. And we're just sitting there and like, and, and in Pakistan, there's no like order. Everyone just starts yelling at the bus driver. Sure. Like just full on yelling and Wharton's like puking and laying in the dirt and me and Kyle are like mushed out of our minds. <laughs> And so we don't we don't really know what to do, and we don't and no one speaks English. Uh-huh. So finally, the bus gets fixed after like four hours. And By who? They brought they they went to back to the nearest town, oh. hitchhiked, and got this mechanic. Really? This mechanic comes out, and they're like in the middle of the road, like fixing this bus. That's yeah. awesome. It's it's oh yeah they're they can they're resourceful people. Yeah, totally. You know. So, but then finally we met this guy on the bus that actually did speak English and he started helping us out a lot, like with Josh and like mm-hmm, everything. Mm-hmm. 
And as the story goes, the whole, I mean, it was just epic. The rest of the, I mean, it just took us like 35 hours to get from the northern part of Pakistan to Islamabad, pretty much nonstop on these buses. We had to do several transfers, uh-huh. switch our bags. The whole time Josh was like, he couldn't deal. It was heinous. Did so, you think he was going to die? Uh, I thought I thought that a few times on this trip, but yeah, right. he might have died. I, I mean, I don't know. It was just not that sweet. Like he was, I mean, he's a tough dude. Yeah, yeah, he's no. like tough as nails. Right, and he was like not looking so hot. Right on. So, like, I remember we got to Islamabad, got to this like super nice hotel, like one of the nicest hotels in Islamabad, and he like it was like a pretty amazing moment for him, I think. <laughs> <laughs> to have a toilet. Oh yeah, full toilet, like shower, nice right. bed, and he was just right. like, oh. Totally. <laughs> HBO. Nirvana. Yeah, it was like complete Nirvana. It was <laughs> so you, just a really wild ride. I don't know. So you guys uh, you guys made it in time for your flights? And so those guys left. They had a full day in Islamabad. I left that afternoon oh, right on my on. international flight right. and continued to get hammered on the airplane. Right on. I ro- arrived in the U.S. just so haggard. <laughs> Were you wearing a shower kameez again? No, I learned my lesson. <laughs> 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 when I was walking down the, towards customs and I got tackled by the immigration office <laughs> the TSA is like hold on one oh, second who's this skinny white kid with this shower coming the freaking American Taliban you've been where training in the mountains what doing what what, look doing, at your what huge, have you been doing look at your huge beard like what so so when did you do that? Let's go that back to that. That was the first year I went to Pakistan, right. 2011. So you thought it would just be hunky dory to to wear your to wear your Pakistani outfit with your new beard well, onto the airplane and back into the U.S. Well, see what happens is, <laughs> yeah. So that's what I did. But like in Pakistan, it's like really like a very respectful thing to wear sure. the shower kameez. Sure. Yeah. And it's like hot there, so mm-hmm. hot, and that's like actually the only comfortable thing to wear when it's that hot. And yeah. so, and also, all my other clothes just smelled real bad. Right. And so I just didn't. No, really I see, understand. I didn't yeah. really see any other reason to take it off. Sure. You didn't. You didn't wear your uh, R four wind blocker bodysuit. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't really into the um, <laughs> in Cat four breathable um, <laughs> silk weight. It really sheds down really good. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's hard, you know. <laughs> and then. Understandably, you had a few problems at immigration. Yeah, dude. They like went through my bags, my journal, and like fully interrogated me. They were right. like, yeah, they just come from the training camp. For yeah, sure. I was like fully in deep. Whatever happened? They to were, you? must have been. There's some guy there who's so excited yeah. at the TSA. He's yeah. like, oh boy, we got He's one. Probably, we got one. We got one. We got one. Yeah, no, they were there. Break out the interrogation room, boys. I was like, I'm, I was afraid I was going to get tortured, man. No, <laughs> Waterboarding? Well, yeah. Dude, that's uh, like... Rendition. That's, yeah, dude, I was... Fully renditioned to I was Syria. taking my mind to the dark places. From Fully. Pakistan to Guantanamo. Yep. The story of Hayden Kennedy. <laughs> so whatever happened to the American <laughs> Taliban? Is he in jail somewhere? Do you remember the guy? John Walker? Ah, uh, John Walker. I don't know. The guy they picked up in, in Afghanistan at the uh, very yeah. beginning, right after 9-11. That's cool that you remembered his name. Well, I read a book about the... That first uh, offensive when they dropped into, when they like the special forces guys dropped into Afghanistan and, huh. and he was in there. But yeah, I think he's just in jail somewhere rotting. Yeah, I'm sure. Anyhow, um, so let's back up for just a second. And um, so you guys went and you went and climbed K seven. Is that right? Mm-hmm. That's such a bummer name. It's kind of a lame name. Yeah, It'd be way so. cooler if it was called like. Yeah, like the, like blow your face off mountain. Right, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. 
<laughs> Which was finishing a route that you'd started the previous season, right? Yeah. Or two years before. Yeah. I think you should just you... add an exclamation point to K7. Yeah, with the... Just K7. Exclamation yeah. point. Exclamation point. Smiley face. Smiley emoticon. face. Winky face. <laughs> winky, winky emoticon. Winky emoticon K7. <laughs> 69,000 meters, winky face. <laughs> okay, you're going to get fucked up. <laughs> No, yeah, so we went back. We were there in 2011. We tried the route, me and Kyle. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where we met our friend, this Slovenian guy, Urban. Mm -hmm. Super mm -hmm. cool guy, Urban Novak. Mm -hmm. Really badass dude. Um, PhD in biology, studying biology, and really good climber. Tough as nails. Mm -hmm. Really cool dude. But So we tried it, got pretty high. Epic came down, and we thought that the line was you know, inspiring enough to come back to. So, yeah. It's good times. So you sent that, and then you guys went off and climbed the ogre, and that's what you're getting the uh, you're being being nominated at the Pule de Or mm -hmm. for, correct? So tell me about that ascent. Well, long story short, we met up with Josh Wharton there, like I said, in mm -hmm. the Choctaw Glacier, and um, through a kind of a strange series of events, his partner had left the Choctaw because they were there. Him and his partner were there to climb on Latok, Latok mm -hmm. One, mm -hmm. and um, anyway, so. Josh was there waiting for us because he knew that we were coming to the Choctaw. And so, you know, we, we arrived there and uh, we pretty much sat in like these just heinous storms for like close to two weeks. It was just a lot of bad weather. And mm -hmm. we talked a lot about like different objectives and what to do. And me and Kyle didn't really feel like we were motivated or psyched to try to climb on Latok. And so the ogre seemed like the kind of the best compromise. So... Yeah, alpine climbing is weird because you do so much sitting mm -hmm. and like getting so on, like out of shape, you know. Mm -hmm. But in like the back of your mind, you like you, you know you're about to go try to like climb or do one of the hardest things you've ever done. So it's like this weird thing you're just like sitting, mm -hmm. but then like you know eventually you're just gonna like go like ballistic 100. Right. And so we were just like sitting there for like two weeks, like not doing anything, and then finally we got the weather, packed six days worth of stuff, and just like walked up to the ogre, started climbing. So uh, tell me about the ogre. Well, so, the yeah, so the, the famous mountains in this valley are, are Latok Group, right? Or is this all part of the same? It's thing? all part. Well, the Choctaw Glacier runs right. essentially parallel to the Biafo. Okay. So the Biafo shares the same mountain. The same shares the the mountain range, like the Latok. So there's okay. Latok One, there's Latok Two, Latok Three, the Ogre mm -hmm. One, the Ogre mm -hmm. Two, mm -hmm. or Benta Brock. Right. That's like the Pakistani name. Right. And so yeah, and you have a family score. To yeah, settle with one of the Latoks, is that correct? That is true. My dad came epically close to climbing Latok 1 right. in 1978, which is ballistic. Uh-huh. It's completely savage. Right. The Alpine style. Yeah. I mean, it was like, well, yeah, they spent like 26 days up there, I think, right. which is, that's a long time without instant Twitter my face, Graham. So all you people <laughs> in Boulder, <laughs> think about that. <laughs> 26 days. That's you without not <laughs> update a single status. No coconut water, no wheatgrass infused enemas, no <laughs> movement climbing gym, no nothing. No bakrava. <laughs> so I was cool. I mean, <laughs> I was mm. rad to go and see. Like, I remember walking up because I mean, it's I've like right. seen photos. Of but they didn't have any of that shit in the 70s anyway. <laughs> no, if they true. did, they had wheatgrass. That's why they got on Latok in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't institute my face cream. They didn't have coconut water. <laughs> Nothing. They just had Led Zeppelin and acid. Yeah. And so they thought climbing on Latok for 26 days would be sweet. <laughs> you would after listening to 
The song remains the same on acid. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so you're in the valley of your elders. That was cool. I mean, yeah. it was. A, I, I remember, I was just like, when I first saw Lay Talk, I was like, wow, that's it was, it was cool. Mm-hmm. It was really powerful for sure. So just a little history lesson. Michael Kennedy, Jeff Lowe. Jim Danini. Jim Danini. And George Lowe. Jeff Lowe and George Lowe. Yes. Are they related? They're cousins. Okay. It's Alex Lowe that wasn't related. Yes. Okay. Anyway, so they're on Laytalk. Laytalk One. Laytalk One. The North Ridge. 26 days. They get within spitting distance of the summit. They're like three or 400 meters from the summit. Right. 1,000 feet. Right. Um, and Jeff Lowe got really sick, some sort of edema. Uh-huh. And they spent like three or four days in this snow cave, kind of in a kind of contemplating what to do. And then eventually, the storm was the storm started coming, and they made the decision to go down. Mm-hmm. That was the highest that anyone's ever gotten on the mountain. No one has even really gotten close uh-huh. to that high point. So okay. it's definitely a prize piece, like for Himalayan alpine climbing, sure. no okay. doubt. Cool. So, and that's also been something that J- that uh, that uh, Josh has been obsessed with. Yeah, he spent. The last, uh, you know, including this summer, I think this is with his, this was his fourth trip to go right. try to climb Laytalk. Sure. So he's been a lot. He's invested a lot of time on that glacier. Sure. He's, he told me the amount of days. I can't remember. It was. It's definitely a weird. It's not like a sweet hang. So when you guys weren't interested in his objective, was he at all bummed out? Um, I think. I mean, not little... that you guys had had that previous plan with him. No, I mean. He was our just maybe pl- thinking I mean, you guys would, would yeah, sort of exactly. come, in, like our, come in for him. Yeah. yeah, our whole plan was to climb separately anyway, you know? But sure. then once the news came that he needed a partner, we were like, oh, well, maybe we'll be open to the idea. Right. Um, but it turned out that we kind of weren't really so motivated. And I think it was hard for Josh just because, you know, it was his dream and stuff. And sure. He'd spent so much time and money uh-huh. and whatever. So, But, you know, he got over it, and we kind of decided to go on this other mission. Right, so the ogre's in the same valley. Same valley. Big rock peak. Yeah, big rock and uh-huh. ice and rock. Right, you know? ice and rock. But yeah. I mean, the the as some of the aspects of yeah, it are, like there's are this real big steep. pyramid feature. Sure, that's like like everyone sees photos of it. Mm-hmm. It's like this really prominent like rock pyramid kind of buttress, mm-hmm. golden red granite and stuff. Well, speaking of of photos, this is where Doug Scott broke both legs. Yeah, descending. Yeah. And, and that was, the, I don't even know, that was like back in like 1970. I think that was the first ascent of it. Yeah, that was the first ascent of the yoga right. with Chris Bonington. So sure. Chris Bonington. And there's absolutely a famous photo of, of, him, yeah. of him kneeling, repelling on his knees because his legs are broken. And, and the tatter, like his, yeah. his pants are tattered. Sure. And his face and his teeth are bare. And it's like snowing. Yeah, it's, it's a sick. It's yeah. a grizzly bear. He's a Spartan warrior. If I can find it online, I'll link it on the website because it's it's one of the great mountaineering. It's photos. in it's in his and book. also one of the great books or stories. Yeah, yeah. The ogre is one of the greatest. I mean, the the ogre ordeal is an mm-hmm. amazing, amazing tale. And I think that's the cool thing about going to these areas like the Choctaw, you know, and like having like the history of Lay Talk and the ogre and these like wild stories from the past. And like going there and seeing those mountains and like reliving those stories that you've read for years, it's like a really cool thing. It's something that's like not most twenty-two-year-olds don't want to go relive Doug Scott's ogre <laughs> ogre story. <laughs> like, oh, broke both legs, right. crawled down the mountain. Like, um, dude, dude, crush my legs! No, seriously, uh, seriously, go, come on, man! I need the man up. Crush go, my legs. I'll go to Pearl Street instead. <laughs> get go, to, a, go to the get Sundowner. Go to the Sundowner. I don't know. I mean, not like really downer. Not relive is epic, but just like 
Sure, you you're like, in, the, in the footsteps of the of the great. You can kind of like think about it, like sit there on the glacier and like be by yourself and be like imagine that kind of thing. Sure, and appreciate it. And but yeah, it's an epic story. And then after that, I think the other ascent. And oh yeah, so they climbed it from the Biafo side. Okay. So no one had ever climbed the Yugger from. No one had ever really climbed anything out of the Choctaw. So that's like kind of the other thing about the Choctaw Glacier. It's like this big mysterious mysterious zone. There's all these huge roots there, but none of them have been summited. Okay. Until of, now. Until now. Yeah. But there is this very mysterious ascent of Latok too from the Choctaw, which is a totally different story from these Spanish guys. And they might have summited, but one of them died on the way down, and the guy never told, never said what happened on Latok too. What disappeared into obscurity. Pretty much, yeah. Huh. Weird. All right, so tell us about your scent of the ogre. Well, we got up and we uh, spent the first day. We climbed in the dark and got to this base. So it's you, Josh, and, and Kyle. Kyle. Okay, yeah. the three of you. Six days worth of gear. You know, me and I think it's important to know that me and Kyle at this point had been to almost seven thousand meters okay. on K seven, which is, is fairly high. And we'd spent a lot of time acclimating there. And spent after that, we continued to rock climb at about six thousand meters consistently mm-hmm. for a few weeks. So mm-hmm. we were really well acclimated. And Josh was. Not so acclimated. He had been to 6,000 meters maybe a month beforehand. Okay. Once. So how high is the glacier hang? Glacier hangs um, in feet. It's about 15,000 feet. Okay. So not super high, but high right. enough that it's you're not really recovering super well. Sure. And the ogre's summit is like seven. It's like 23,000 feet. Okay. Or a little over, like over 23,000 feet. So, I mean, I guess in retrospect, we didn't really think about it that much, but we just didn't think that... You know, Josh was like, oh, yeah, I'll be fine. We're going to go, and it'll be no problem. So we're like, okay. So we start climbing, and we spent the night uh, below the face in a safe area and waited all day, waited for the mountain. Because, you know, when mm-hmm. you start at the lowest point, it's, that's like the most dangerous. You have, you know, so much mountain above you, and in the heat of the day, you'll, it's like suicide, rock and ice fall. So we okay. waited all day under this um, the cover of this shrund, and we just watched, you know, huge avalanches and just kind of took it all in, started climbing in the middle of the night, climbed all through the night um, into the next day, and um, we were doing good. It was like mellow. So wait a second. Back it up. Because, you know, Andrew and I are just just little rock climbers, so we got to understand this. So you're you're watching, like, the root just dump stuff down it all day long, and then you just... At one point, to wait for it to kind of slow down, and then you get up on there, or what's... Yeah, kind of. Right. And you just hope that you, you've got a window where it froze up. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's All not right. that, like, it's... Yeah, no, it's true, though. You kind of... It's a little bit... I don't know. It's a little bit weird, because you kind of... You think of yourself in this, like, really safe bubble when you're in base camp mm-hmm. you know and then like once you leave base camp like you all of a sudden feel really like empty and naked okay and but once you, it's like one of those things like once you start climbing like the like hesitation i feel like is like the killer like if you hesitate any of your decisions if you don't really truly believe in what you're doing and uh-huh. the people you're with and sure. the cause you're doing it, then there's no point sure. you should just turn around so once you make that decision to go i think it's really important that you like you fucking go, right? Hundred like percent, right, 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 right. But and I even mean, if, do people get stuck in base camp, like yeah, mentally they just never want to break the bubble. Man, yeah, totally. And I mean that because ha- that ha- sounds like that's what happened to me. I would get my thermorest out in the sun and just be like, ah, I think this is. And that's sweet. happened to me. I, I mean, think I can get one bar here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Your partner's like, there's two bars on the summit. You're like, I'm in. I'm in, dude. Sign me up, dude. Two bars. (laughs) Two bars of death even when we win, boys. As long as I can get my gram up before we go. As long as it sends off and then I can die after that, it's fine. (laughs) All right, so you guys head up the route. We're, yeah. I keep interrupting. I apologize. But yeah, we're just cruising and uh, it's super fun. It's cool. And what's that? You want a beer? Yeah. Oh. Thanks. And we're cruising. Is we didn't okay? have any Is beers. There one more or no? That's it. Mm-hmm. You guys okay if I drink the last one? Yeah. You're we the host. Podcast. You're we the host. Yeah. We you bought us pizza tonight. Yeah. All right. Anyway, go. Well, no, we're just cruising, and I don't know. We made our first. You know, we did a bunch of climbing. Probably covered like four, th- four or five thousand feet that day. A lot of varied terrain, snow and ice. Easy climbing for the most part. One really, really scary pitch. Other than that, it was like super fun, and got to the bivy. It was all good continued climbing the next day and uh at this point well the first day me and kyle had been leading all day swapping leads taking turns breaking trail whatever it was and then the next day josh continued to follow and but his he started getting a lot slower and we could tell that he wasn't really feeling super good and he was coughing and super low energy like you know we'd be leading a pitch and you know he just would take a long time to follow it and so it, it we're getting higher and higher and higher and so you know, like the higher you get, obviously the worse you feel, even if you feel good. It's not like altitudes, like one of those things where, I mean, you don't feel that good up there at all. Sure. Like me and Kyle aren't like, we don't feel bad, but it's not like, you know, sitting in a field of daisies. Sure. With your iPhone. You're like doing some setups. Yeah. Before you get going every <laughs> so we're morning like, or whatever. Yeah. So we're like cruising. We get to this like pretty critical point where we start doing these like big, long kind of mixed traverses. And it's uh-huh. kind of a point in the route where um, there's like, a little bit of like, you know, once we do these traverses, it's kind of hard to return like the same way. Uh-huh. So that's kind of like a point of no return a little bit. And so we did these traverses and we kind of committed to the, committed to going up and going down a different way because it was unsafe to go back across this certain section. It's just too okay. dangerous and too hard and too loose. And so once we did that and we kind of like stepped into this like infinitely more committing realm and Wharton... Josh started getting, his conditions started getting much worse. Can I ask you a question? So this is a first ascent. Yeah. So you've sort of scoped this from the valley? Yeah, we scoped it a little bit from the valley. Actually, we went pretty blind into this right. because we didn't really know what we were getting into prior because we had some other ideas, but from that storm, a long story short. And how big is the, the route once the you got it done? The climbing all, like with the traverse, I mean, I think the climbing was like. I've got my hand up. With my fingers spread Yay, out. Yay, hi. Not that Yay, big. hi. I think close to 12,000 vertical feet of climbing. 11,000 feet. Right. So three L caps stacked on top of one another. Yeah. Four. Four. Four L caps stacked on top of one another. Yeah. How many L caps is that? <laughs> it's four. <laughs> one, two, three. Crunch. Are we talking about the right side of El Cap or the, <laughs> the, like, the real El Cap? Or the right. Dawn Wall. Are we right. talking about the Dawn Wall or Zodiac? <laughs> More Dawn Wall. Three Dawn, four Dawn how, Walls. How many Dawn Walls is that? <laughs> how many middle cathedrals? <laughs> anyway. it's another story. All right. So you guys are traversing. You're committed. We're doing it. Okay. And we keep climbing. Morton's not really, he's not complaining. You right. Know? He's not really being like, oh, dude, I'm like. He's just really slow, and we're like, dude, are you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm just, you know, low energy or whatever. And Sure, sure. But like I felt this morning when I got out of bed. Yeah. Probably really similar. But we're just kind of like, it's one of those things. It's like, when do you call it quits? Like, you never sure. climb routes like that, and like, you'll never send in the Himalaya if you, like, don't push through some 
some pain. So, you know, when do you say no? So we keep climbing. Then all of a sudden, you know, probably late in the day on that on the um, second day, we're pretty high. We're close to 7,000 meters, and, and Josh has hit the wall, uh, as I remember. It just was like... We, we were all really worked, and we were, like, in this, like, big, like, kind of hanging snow field, and we were, like, breaking trail, and finally Josh was like, I, I need to stop. So we, like, stopped and, like, dug, spent, like, four hours digging out this bivy into, like, a 50-degree snow slope, uh-huh. and, like, pitched this tent and just, like, got in the tent and just kind of, like, regrouped. Uh-huh. And at that point, like, Wharton was just super, super worked, could barely talk, was, like, laying down, just... I mean, yeah, we were, me and Kyle were definitely freaked right. out for sure. All of us Well, were. I mean, you, you have to be because you've known Josh for a while. Yeah, I mean, he's like and, my hero. Yeah, you know? and so here's this guy that you know, as you said, is tough as nails. To For him to probably even admit that he needs to stop means that he's like on empty. Like that's... Yeah, yeah. I mean, Josh has always been this guy that I've like looked up to ever since like before I even knew him. And then even, sure. like I know him really well now, I still like... I'm slightly intimidated every time I climb with him in a sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a certain air to him. Yeah. yeah, And it's like, whoa, this guy is the real deal. Sure. And so to like tie in with someone like that below a route like that, it's like, I was pretty intimidated. And then to see that happen was even more intimidating and scary. And then, but whatever we like, you know, we slept or whatever, didn't really sleep. We just laid there and I got up in the morning and the weather was still good. And we, at this point we could see the summit and it was, you know, roughly, we we didn't really know how how much further, but you know maybe three or four hundred thousand feet left, and we just kind of made this. You know, again, I can't remember exactly how it all went, but I remember Josh just sitting up and he said, "I couldn't, he can't go any higher." And but he know he knew how much work it took to climb in the Choctaw, and mm-hmm. you know how close we were, and he was like, "You guys should keep going, and I'll be I'll wait here in the tent." And mm-hmm. as soon as that, as soon as he said the words, me and Kyle just went. And again, mm-hmm. it's like the thing I said before when you start the route. If you're going to do it and you're going to commit to a decision, you just commit. And so me and Kyle committed and mm-hmm. we kept climbing. And so that rest of the, you know, we left him with the tent and all the food and the stove and all the sleeping gear. And we went super lightweight mm-hmm. to the summit and climbed really amazing stuff. Like the best, some of the best alpine climb I've ever done up there. It was really cool. Got to the top, came down and got back to Josh. And, you know, he was, his condition had worsened substantially and, um, we spent the next two days, well, three days, rappelling, getting off the mountain, and it was epic. It was just super long. We had a lot of, we had two pretty bad nights out, and um, I think, uh, you know, luckily we all got out off the mountain. But I mean, it was certainly a very, a very touch and go situation. I feel like at the last day. Those of you who can't see us, which is everyone, I just looked at at Andrew and both of us just like gave us the holy fucking crazy face <laughs> to each other. I mean, there's a few things going on here right now. One, I let me just preface all this. With, I don't know if everyone really understands or knows just how good Josh is at climbing right. all around. Oh, he's like, just he's, a savage, he's the man. Dude. He's like, is there anyone who's better at like onsighting five eleven scary shit in the mess. mountains and or just anywhere? Like he's so strong and right. just so talented. And he bowls like V eleven and yeah. like sport climbs like a maniac. No, he's he's insane. He's such a like a really good fit climber. I think the the point where I was just like, what are you talking about? Like three days of just anxiety over whether you're going to get down is the. 
you know, are we going to live or die? Is Josh going to live or die? Like three days of that. That must have been. Yeah, it was a lot of. I remember um, we like got back down to the tent and uh, he was like in the same position as we left him, just kind of like laying in the heap of bags. And we were like, oh, God. And we like, dude, we got to go. And um, we started repelling. And I remember at, he was he, he he realized how serious it was. And he said to me and Kyle, he's like, you guys need to really watch me. And that's when I knew. Wow. So he was aware enough. He was aware like, enough to oh, be like, okay. I am. Because like, w- wouldn't it be typical to be like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. No, he so, knew it. Yeah. He knew it. For I love sure. him even more now. Yeah, no, he knew it, so he was like... And so from that moment on, it was... He's so good at knowing this at these moments. That's the other thing. <laughs> yeah, these things that we just He's can't even everything. explain. He's good at everything. He's good we at this. You. We love you, Josh. <laughs> you just can't do laundry or cook food, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I don't want to hear that. Um, yeah, so now, now again, and, and Andrew, you were kind of hitting on this, like, what was the total length of this ascent? So you it left six days, six days, three so, days up and three days back to base. So yeah, it was six days round trip. Cause base like, camp to base camp. I don't know how to express what, I, what I'm, what I'm thinking, but you, it's like in the, in the story form of the great ascent, you know, we all know there's some sort of like getting off of the mountain, but the story usually ends on the summit. You know, like, hooray, we're on the summit, or hooray, then they made the summit. Mm-hmm. It's like the 1965 blah, blah, blah ascent of this. You know, they topped out and three climbers, you know, made it to the top. And that's where the story ends. But you guys have three days up and three days down, essentially. Yeah. And the down is punctuated by having to worry about whether this guy in your team well, I've always thought that the, I've always thought that the down is the hardest part anyway. Sure. Because you're super tired. It's monotonous. I mean, right. it's just like pull ropes, V-thread, put anchor in, pull ropes, V-thread, coil ropes, really cold, really tired, and you just repeat and the so process. Basically, so rappelling is more badass than climbing. Pretty much. Exactly. So just all those a bunch speed, of guys in the speed South. rappers out yeah. there. Get Shout on out. it, dude. I was going to say, there's a bunch of guys in the South who are just like, right on. <laughs> right on. I can speed wrap the shit out of the ogre. <laughs> speed wrap out of my Blackhawk chopper. So... All right, so all right, let's get some logistics here. How long have we been going? All right, because this is interesting to me. So, you guys are descending. Basically, you're repelling the whole thing, or you're reversing pitches. So we did do some reversing of the pitches, but then we got to this that section where we kind of didn't want to go back. Wait, wait, wait. So let me ask you this: When you've reversed a pitch, are you talking about traversing, reversing, or are you are you down climbing things? Down both. Okay. Yeah, and up climbing sometimes too. Like you'll have like a section where it was like a slight traverse, and on the way when we climbed on the way up, we had to do a little down climb. Sure. But then on the way back, we had to up, you know, climb ascend. Back up. Yeah. And then also you get to certain sections that are just snow, and you can't repel them, so you just. Post so hold Josh down. is having to do actual climbing during this. Yeah, whole but thing. we were with him. Like one of us right. would be with him, that like like right next to him, more right. or less, being like, "All right, dude, like tool here." You guys like, all rope together on those parts. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. God, that is insane. Like My crampon fell off on one of the snow parts I was uh, this. That was it. You have no more crampon. Well, it stayed on my foot. But oh, it, like, right. It's it, like, hanging off. Yeah, and I was like, sure. oh. But I mean, it was, the whole thing was, I mean, the first day was heinous mostly because we wrapped in the dark and we like got into the, and we was, if it was just, if it was all three of us and we all felt fine, we would have kept wrapping through the night. Sure. 
since it was just much too dangerous to rap with Josh in the night, right. we, had to op- we opened Bivied on Ugh. this ledge at like 68 or 6,700 meters. Ugh. And that was probably the most terrible. Well, that was definitely the most scary part of the whole thing because that's when we were all at like the peak of our exhaustion. Mm-hmm. And Josh obviously was super tired and super worked. And we were bivying on this big, you know, on this like really exposed spot with wind. And that was like the part where I was like, okay, this is, you know, this is definitely a serious situation. I think if we can get through the night, then hopefully we mm-hmm. can. Yeah. Continue. I mean, you, it's like the Iger sanction, you know, oh, he died in the night. I mean, you know, it's like there has to be this concern of what, are we going to wake up with this corpse with us? But I mean, you know, I don't think it, it never got like that that heavy duty. No? Josh kept we, right. we kept talking sure. and all night. All right. It wasn't all right. like this. I don't want to put too much on it. No, 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 it wasn't like this. Dude, people die walking up the cables trail onto Half Dome. Right, they just die. <laughs> it's true though. He's right about that. That is true. All right, so you guys, uh, you guys made it out. Made is it the, out is the moral of the story. Yeah, and well. I guess so as, 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 bus ride. <laughs> as you guys descended, did, did he start to feel better? He did. Yeah, and that's okay. when we kind of so like, oh, well, yeah. he had probably cerebral edema. You know, sure. every, you know, yeah. and on the third day, he felt much better. Right. So it was like, on the third day of repelling, it was like, oh, well, this is great. Right. You guys had your shirts off or like. <laughs> totally. He was yeah. doing push ups training, <laughs> yeah. you know? Well, one, one, maybe one thing you can talk about is just how um, altitude sickness can more or less just strike anyone, regardless of what they do. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, how strong or how good of a climber you are. Yeah, I mean, it can happen at any time. You can be like one of the best altitude climbers in the world and randomly get pulmonary edema. Sure. It just happens differently every time. But I think the main ingredient to that is, you know, making sure you're acclimated. Right. Yeah. And everyone has a different process of doing that. Everyone's body, you know, processes red blood cells differently mm-hmm. and processes oxygen differently. So it's knowing how to acclimate for yourself. Sure. sure. I-, I prefer to have my Sherpa acclimate for me. <laughs> I, yeah, if I if I could pick a way to acclimate, it would be my Sherpa osmosis through right. my Sherpa. <laughs> I mean, the moral the moral of the story is like I don't think that we all three will ever like that decision. We can analyze it as much as we right. want, but I think ultimately we don't really know what happened up there and why we did that. And I don't sure. think and people can like say whatever they want about that, but I don't really know. I mean, we just. We just did what we did, and that's right, right, that's right, the right, idea. Right. I mean, I don't know. Well, you'll figure out what you did at the PLA d'Or next month when they judge your climb for you. When they judge me in every way. Well, so let me ask you that. Let's uh, wrap this this little part of the story up. But you guys get nominated for the PLA d'Or, and wh- why I don't do you think, think you roll the R? Oh no, I yeah, did that I another podcast. My French isn't very good. <laughs> I'm coming from from Spanish. They don't roll R's. I don't think so. Okay, whatever it is, the PLA, the or. That'd be a game changer, dude. If you went up and said that to a French coach, you'd be like, no way. I know. Well, that's yeah. okay. So wh- why is it that they're uh, they're impressed enough with your ascent to put it in this, this whole thing? Because it's the first, first time it's been climbed from that side. and I mean, maybe. I, they haven't told you? I don't know. Did no. they just call you? Pretty much, yeah. yeah Wait, is it for a category, like best... Climb where no one dies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's what we got. We, we we fell into that category: best climb that no one died on, best yeah. best supporting camp cook, Gafour. <laughs> Gafour. <laughs> oh man! So that would I, I'd pay attention. Yeah, to that. I would watch that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
That'd be awesome. Oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> so did you guys, like, uh, personally, um, did you guys debrief at all? Mm, yeah. I, I don't think we... Well, I've seen... I've climbed a, hung out a lot with Josh and, San, and same with Kyle. Right. But I don't think... We haven't all three been... Oh, no, that's, no, that's not true. In Uray, we all hung out. Right. At the Ice Fest. Sure. Yeah, no, we kind of talked about it, but uh-huh. it's one of those things that's like a, an unspoken thing. You know what I mean? It's not one of those things you're like, dude, remember that time when we were like, right. it's like you kind of like look at each other and you're like, yeah, yeah, uh, okay, we're there. Yeah, okay, yeah. we don't really need to yeah. sure. process it. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, I think that's like a, one of those things that I've always noticed about it. I didn't really understand that until I started kind of climbing the mountains. Like, I didn't really understand like how you can have these really powerful experiences with climbing mm-hmm, partners and mm-hmm. then like just fall out of touch with people because that sure. happens all the time with, you know, partners and stuff. And right. I think I now kind of understand it that I think that. For really big alpine routes where you really get close to like your own limit and you really get to know your friends, it's like a, it's a, it's a thing that only you need to know between you and partners, and that's right, it. Right. And, and that's like, that's all. That's that's all that needs to happen. Do you think you can get PTSD? Oh yeah, post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, from climbing, from doing these routes. Wouldn't it fit? I don't know. I'm not I mean, a psycho psychologist. No. Think about like touching the void, dude. That dude crawled through shit. Right. Yeah. Literally. That, literally. That part. Yeah. That, yeah. No. Maybe. I mean, that stuff is traumatic. I'm sure. I mean, it, it, isn't it the same effect as as being, you know, being that strung out and and and, it, and in some situations watching people even perish around you? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it seems like it has all the same ingredients as combat. Quite yeah, frankly, definitely. You know, high stress. You know, well, push to your limits. I am um, watching people die. Like, I mean, let's put it out there to the listeners. A, we're painting a great picture for Alpine. Well, it, Sign it, up for Alpine Mentors next year. Well, it might explain a lot of like the troubled, you know, that people get into after these climbs. No, it's like true. some of these guys well, that do it. I think it that a lot lives. of it has to do with. I interrupted yeah. you. Let's get back to that. But go ahead. No. Well, I just think that I certainly think that for some Alpine climbers and that who have gone or who do that kind of stuff, it's like one of those things where they, they come back from trips like that and they have a hard time relating to other people mm-hmm. about it, which makes total sense. Yeah. And they feel like they can't connect with what actually happened up there and they kind of get a little bit... I mean, I don't really want to say like... they don't. I mean, you're not like mad at other people, but you just like... You can't relate, even though, even though you try really hard sure. to relate what happened. Sure. You never can. So it's like this thing where you're like... Oh, you want to like share the story, right? But you just can't really do it the way you want to like get to the essence. Does that of make it sense? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean uh, it's funny because and it's that struggle through like years and years right. and years and years. Right. I think anytime people die, you're gonna be have you know fallout from that. Sure. You know? But it was, I was what I was gonna tell you is I was on this press trip in November in Chamonix with all these magazine editors and, and this large company and retailers and whatever. And um, I was talking to this guy at this company who was in the first the first Gulf War. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, was kind of telling us these war stories and it was a little bit of a stressful thing for him. And, you know, we were all impressed. And But then my friend at this other magazine, he was recently in a avalanche in which three of his friends died and yeah and his fallout has been really intense you know he sort of it was interesting because it kind i mean not that this iraq vet was necessarily bragging about his 
experiences there, but it, it certainly gave him perspective where he's like, you know, he's not a climber. He's not a skier. He doesn't do any of these mountain sports, mm-hmm. but he has this, you know, experience in Iraq where he lost friends and he was sort of bonded with this guy who, who is a skier and he, he his friends died in an avalanche. Um, and they, you know, sort of talked about their experiences of, the aftermath and um this guy the skier he you know yeah he had he was having health problems like his hair was falling out in clumps sure you know just from the this decompressing from this heinous experience that sure. he had and and uh and so yeah it was interesting to see them you know bridge this connection between war and you know being in the mountains where you 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 know have your platoon of comrades and right and uh and shit goes wrong and people die and well then and then you begin to second guess decisions and i think that's probably like the rabbit hole that begins like what if i did this what if i did that what happened if we right had i said something had i stopped us you know had i acted on that uneasy feeling that i had about in Mm -hmm. this case a ski slope or i think sometimes maybe one of the differences maybe is in war you're not really it's not your choice like people are telling you to go sure into that bunker that just had like bullets coming out of it and you're like really i mean some of the best books that i've read have been climbing books and war books like huh. a thin red line like that's one of the best stories ever written it's i think that there are those similarities between i think we're on to something there's a parallel here Talk For to sure. Greg Greg Crouch, dude. He's yeah. he's basically really he's the you know the leading writer on that on bridging that gap. I sure, think. he actually has agreed to come on the show. Oh, so there you I go, just need Gregory to chase Crouch. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's really interesting to me because I mean, you know, you guys had a, had a, had a positive experience from it. I mean, Josh obviously was pushed to his limits, but you guys all walked away. But it's a similar thing, like you said, like in war, you have your platoon or your group or your small little elite team and it's the same with the climbing the mountains you mm-hmm. have your team and you get to know each other really really well and then you're f- put into a very different world that you're you're not in control of sure and the outcome of those maybe are really similar right in the basis of your choice to go climb this route yeah it's still that you guys elected to do it but there's got to be a, a point on the route where you know you do feel as though maybe you are at the mercy of the mountain or whatever. Of the mountain. Yeah. And yeah, your choice was to leave, but, you know, two or three days later into it, you know, there's there's got to be these points at which, you know, the route comes to yet another hard pitch and you might feel a little sorry for yourself and mm-hmm. be like, oh, God, here we go again. Yeah. You know, and I love the fact that with you, Hayden, that you're so stoked and, you know, you're positive about it. It was this great climbing. It was the most amazing climbing. But, you know, in the moment, there has to be these points where you come around some buttress or into the next section and you're just like, oh man, here we go again. We got to get it going yet again. And we thought we were, we were home free, you know? Yeah. So especially with new rooting, I mean. I've always found that like that kind of thing is one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had in my life and certainly my climbing life, but was with Urban on K7 mm-hmm. this year when we made it to the top. Me and Kyle were at like a point where we had been leading a lot, really tired and we got to a point on the route where we're like, I don't know if it goes. And we like literally peered around a rock buttress, like you just said. Sure. And we like got into the blank steepness and we're like, oh no, mm-hmm. this doesn't go. Sure. And we were like, and it was snowing, starting to kind of snow. And we're like, oh, we got to go down. If you're, if you're with the right people, you know, and you're like, the motivation's there, then 
things will happen. Mm-hmm. And he was like, no, we will, we're going to continue and I'm going to like lead now and I'll take us up this other way, you okay. know? And like watching him do that and like pull me and Kyle out of this like mud essentially right. of like, oh, it's like failure. We can't send the second year of coming here and like watching him do that. Like that was like the coolest thing I've, one of the coolest things I've ever had climbing. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, when you get to those points in the roots, that's where you realize, you know, who your partners are and who you're climbing with. Because I would never want to be in the mountains in those situations with someone that I wasn't fully connected with that I thought would could do that, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. That makes total sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. I mean, coming full circle on this podcast, because we got to wrap it up here pretty soon, but, you know, we started with talking about your freaking knee getting blown out and what a good attitude you got that you have about it despite the fact that you can't climb until July or whatever. But based on your experiences, something like this is just this minor setback, you know? I guess so. I mean, facing what you faced this last year on all these decisions to climb and these decisions with, with you know, what to do with people who are sick in the mountains or whatever else. I mean, this is this is like small potatoes. I just get to sit around and watch Lost and Breaking Bad. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Lost is fucking crazy <laughs> sorry we don't need to talk about that anymore but it's right. so crazy <laughs> <laughs> i'm so into it dude all right well we better wrap this thing up before we uh so you can get back and watch one more episode tonight before you go to bed you can't just wa- watch just one no no. <laughs> no 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 you gotta watch like no a few are you into the walking dead at all no all right check it out you haven't checked that one out you haven't checked out the mm-hmm. walking dead either no it's pretty tight Zombies. I like apocalyptic things, though. Mm-hmm. So, anything else, Mister Bisharat? Um, no. I think I'm. I think I'm all good. All right. Until next time. Yeah. Until next time. No, I want to. I want to have you guys back on the show. You're gonna be out till July. We might as well do one before you hit hit the rocks again. Yeah, it'd be fun. Right. So, but yeah, it'd be fun to have you guys uh, or anybody come in on repeat guests, you know, and just kind of touch base on what's going on in the climbing world. I really appreciate you going into such detail about this story. And um, I guess you, Hayden Kennedy, I guess uh, we need to have Josh Wharton on the show. J-Dub. J-Dub. Giving a call out to two yeah. alpinists right now, Steve House exactly. and J-Dub. We spend so much time with rock climbers. Let's do it. Come in and school me. You know, on this whole alpine climbing thing, because it's not in my soul. They couldn't fit in this closet, dude. <laughs> They're too big. <laughs> That's true. They don't go on sport climbing diets. There's nowhere the way for Josh does. There's no more for Josh to do push-ups <laughs> while we're doing the podcast in here. So, oh man, you spend a little time in his training facility. Is that right? Move it north. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Move it north is pretty cool, but there's no there's no snugness up there. Zero <laughs> snugness. No chicks. Which is lame, because that's the only reason I go to Movement South. <laughs> and that, that ended up real well for me. Can we put out the blind date call for for our friend here, HK? Yeah, HK, you're single. Yeah. yeah. On the scene. All on right. the scene. He's on the scene. Ladies, just get in touch with the Normalcast. Email chris at anormalcast.com. Or Hayden Kennedy at Comcast.net. <laughs> <laughs> That touche, dude. That's smart. <laughs> don't email Calus. Yeah, don't you'll email Calus. You just steal them. <laughs> All right, you guys. Let's wrap it up. Thanks for coming on the Enorma Cast. Uh, thanks, Chris. Yeah, dude. Thanks. Hello, 
Lloyd, man. No babe is worth it, dude. No, no. Listen, hang with us, man. We'll teach you Bibles for right, you. Right. Lloyd, man, you can't even trust them, man. Because right, you know what's man. about? They spend your money and they tell their friends everything, everything. man. It's about economics. That's valid, they tell them everything, That's man. Valid. All you gotta do is find a girl that looks just like her, yeah. nail her, and then dump her, man. Dump her, Get her off your mind. Right. Your only mistake is that you didn't dump her first. Well, Diane Cord is a show pony. You need a stallion, my friend. <laughs> walk with us and you walk tall. Walk tall, my man. Bitches, man. Let me give that kid a comp. Hey, dude, I better bail. Better for you, Luke. I got a question. You guys know so much about women. How come you're here at like a gas and sip on a Saturday night, completely alone, drinking beers, no women anywhere? My choice, man. That's yeah, right, man. It's a conscious choice. It's a choice, man. Choosing to be here. I want to be here. I'm choosing.